If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 158 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with Mike Prokopik, Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for Human Capital Media, which is the publisher of Chief Learning Officer, Talent Economy, and Workforce Magazines. Before we get to that conversation with Mike, though, we want to give a shout out to one of our listeners and also thank our sponsor for the fourth quarter of 2018. Our shout out goes to Allison Mira of the North Carolina Healthcare Information and Communications Alliance, or NCHICA. Allison attended a session on podcasting that we did about a year ago for the Association Executives of North Carolina at its annual technology conference, and she was inspired to launch a podcast at Inchica. The Inchica Healthcare IT Trends Buzz podcast is now up and running, and if healthcare IT happens to be of interest to you, you can find the podcast by going to inchicatrendsbuzz.libsyn.com, and we'll also, of course, make sure to link to that in the show notes. So congratulations to Allison and Inchica for taking action and jumping into the podcasting world. Yes, definitely. Congratulations. Uh, always glad to see a new entrant into podcasting. And of course, it's also nice to know that uh, we had a little bit of impact with our, our session there at AENC. So now back to our sponsor for this quarter, and that is Review My LMS, a collaboration between our company, Tagoras, and 100 Reviews. And as the name suggests, Review My LMS is a site where users can share and access reviews of learning management systems. And the focus is specific specifically on systems that are a good fit for learning businesses, meaning organizations that market and sell lifelong learning. Contribute a review and you get access to all existing and future reviews. And there are already well over 100 on the site. And if you don't have a review to contribute, there's also a subscription option. So for details, just go check out reviewmylms.com. Jeff, would you tell us a bit about what it is you and Mike cover? Sure. And first, I'll note that um, I've been a longtime subscriber to CLO Magazine, and I'm, I'm betting many of our listeners are as well. And if you aren't, you certainly should be. You can sign up for free just by going to clomedia.com, and that'll get the digital version delivered to your inbox. And you know, as a result of being a subscriber, I've seen Mike's name pop up quite a bit because he's involved in, in so much there. So I, you know, as I comment in the interview with him, I almost felt like I knew him too to a certain extent, but this did give me a chance to, to get to know him a little bit. And, you know, Mike has been involved with the human capital field for a long time. And so we talked about, you know, how that field has evolved. And then in particular, how the whole role of chief learning officer has emerged and then evolved. And, you know, we talk about how leaders at market-facing learning businesses, which of course is who we serve, might interact effectively with uh, their corporate counterparts, which is really the core of Mike's and uh, Human Capital Media's audience. And then finally, Mike is the the proud co-host of a recently launched podcast, the CLO Breakfast Club. So we talk about that, and again. This is a resource that leading learning listeners should definitely access, and you can easily get access by going to clobreakfastclub.com. Well, it sounds great. You guys covered a lot of good ground. I know I was particularly uh, struck by this idea of launching the podcast because it really came out of a 
place-based offering that they'd been doing, having these CLO breakfast clubs around the country and realized that there was this great opportunity to really expand what they were doing there and that going digital and particularly using a podcast was the way to do that. So I think that that really resonated with me um, and I think it will resonate with our listeners. So let's get on with the interview with Mike Prokopin. Hello out there. I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm joined by Mike Prokopik. Mike is Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for Human Capital Media, the largest integrated media company serving the human capital management and workforce development industries. He's also the proud parent of a new podcast show, The CLO Breakfast Club. And we'll definitely talk about that and more. But first, Mike, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Jeff, it's great to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's, it's so good to, to sit down with you. I was saying before we hit record that I've, I've seen your name come through uh, email so many times as I've been a reader of uh, CLO Magazine over the, the years. So it's great to finally be talking with you. And I'm betting that many of our listeners, like me, are familiar with human capital media, but there are bound to be some who aren't. So it'd be great if uh, we could start off with you telling listeners just a, a bit more about human capital media, uh, what it is, and then what your role is there. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate the, the chance to talk a bit about it. About it. Yeah. So human capital media is, as you mentioned, uh, we're a media company focused on the human capital space. Um, that includes magazines, uh, digital media, video and audio, or as you mentioned, we're doing our own podcast now. And we also do events all within the broad human capital uh, arena. And as we define that, that is um, basically your entire from hire to retire spectrum of management of people. So some of our brands include uh, Chief Learning Officer Magazine, which is, as the title indicates, really focused on corporate heads of learning and development or organizational heads of of learning and development, uh, as well as Workforce Magazine, which is a 97-year-old brand focused on uh, the generalist HR market. So we've got uh, both a broad array of media as well as a narrow array of media touching on you know very specific subsets of that my role within there is i'm the editor-in-chief and so i run our our editorial team which includes a a, a team of internal journalists and editors here as well as a a a number of folks who are contributors and uh contributing contributing editors to the sites and our media as well so it's a it's a exciting gig i've been doing it for uh about uh let's see it's about 11 years now. Mm. And so it's been a bit of a learning experience for me as well, since I kind of came to this uh, space from outside of, of, of uh, the, the human resources arena. But it's uh, always a fun gig, and I enjoy it. What's interesting, I, did, I didn't know the uh, workforce publication was, uh, was that old, nearly a, nearly a century old, and, and uh, human capital media itself has been around for quite a while. And then, as you just said, you've been there for a little over a decade. And I, I feel like particularly in the last decade, a, a lot has changed in the world of you know, human capital, human resources. Um, I'd be interested, you know, from your perspective, and maybe as, you know, somebody who came in from the outside, too, um, what what are some of the biggest changes you've seen during your tenure and and how we even think about that whole uh, concept of human capital? Yeah, 
It's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I think we've been talking about uh, the war for talent for, for a couple of decades now. Um, and, of course, there's the old quip that somebody said that, you know, the war for talent's over, the talent won. <laughs> um, and, and, but, you know, the, the, base, the bottom line, I think, is that over the last decade that I've seen uh, is that there has been more of a movement from companies paying lip service to this idea that they need to shift the power within their organizations away from the hierarchies, away from their traditional structures, and um, give more um, power, give more um, focus more on the engagement of the talent that make up the, the their organization up and down the what have what's been the hierarchical structure. Mm. There's been a there's been a move more from the lip service that to I think finally companies putting the money where where their mouth it has been for years that's not to say that it's done that's not to say that um that movement has reached its completion there is still an infinite amount of lip service that is paid to you know people being our most important asset uh you know that sort of thinking and but then actions really don't uh don't carry that out but you know i think there has been that marked shift at least in rhetoric and starting to happen a lot more in, um, in, in investments in people and in the priority that are, that is given to human capital, um, that has increased, you know, to put it on par, if not quite on par with some of the other core functions of an organization, like, you know, say finance or operations or, you know, marketing, for example, right. uh, human capital is, is, is becoming, is rising up as a priority uh, amongst those many different priorities. When I guess one big signal of that is the the rise of the chief learning officer or CLO uh, position, which uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly when that came about, but I know you know probably 20 years ago you were not hearing about a chief learning officer or a uh, a CLO, and at this point you know you've you've got and you've had for a while uh, an entire publication dedicated to that role, and I'd be interested to to hear. I mean how how do you describe that position? What, what is a chief learning officer really at, at this point? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, that's another great question. So we started the the magazine chief learning officer magazine. And at that point it was just a magazine with the website. Um, but we do a lot more with it now, but we started it in 2003 and at that point, it really wasn't much more than a title that was kind of floating out there, sounded fun, sounded exciting, but there really hadn't been a community that had built up around it. And that's kind of what we took um, as our inspiration and started to create a brand that could kind of bring this emerging group of people together around this practice of a chief learning officer. Um, and, and what is that? And, and by the way, we define the term fairly loosely. Not everybody has the title of chief learning officer in our audience. How we define it is really the organization's head of employee learning and development. Mm. So if that is the function that you play in your organization, then you are a member of our audience. You may have the chief learning officer title. You might be vice president of the corporate university. You might be director of employee learning and development or leadership development. But if you're sort of you're in, in that organizational head role, then, then you're our audience. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's been um, an interesting journey for us to sort of follow how this community has, has come together because it was fairly loose at the beginning. There were a few very 
progressive companies who had designated a CLO, and and their job was really to um, act as the the company's person to sort of we know we're going to have skill shortages. How do we? How are you going to? How are we going to um, close that gap? How are we going to drive innovation? How are we going to create a a culture within our organization that is continually focused on learning so that we're not getting left behind as innovation happens more, you know, change comes into our market more rapidly, innovation happens. How do we create the sort of culture within our company that is developing skills, but also is sort of just continuously in conversation with itself and with the external community about what is happening in the future. And that's really kind of, it's, it's both a very, um, conceptual abstract role, but also very concrete in the sense that you need to develop skills and you need to develop leaders who can thrive in that environment. And that's a CLO's role in addition to sort of being that person to, to kind of be the, um, the the, uh, the 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 change agent that's that's part of the company to sort of be a, a little bit of an irritant to the company to kind of spur it to grow and change in in ways that are productive for it. So and it's then, a, it's an interesting role. Yeah, and th- I mean, and this originally came out of companies like uh, you know a Motorola or a GE. So I you know it had kind of a lot of a lot of street cred behind it that I'm sure helped with the uh, the, the rise of the position. Yeah, it did. And, and you, know, you mentioned at the beginning that we've just launched a, our, our own podcast, the, the CLO Breakfast Club podcast. And what we're doing is we're interviewing learning leaders just to kind of hear their stories about, you know, where they began and, and how their careers developed and the idea that they can share that with others. And one of the my co-hosts for that is Justin Lombardo, who is a longtime chief learning officer, now semi-retired. But he was there at the beginning of the creation of the role at Motorola, mm. as you mentioned, Motorola and GE were sort of the two companies where this role kind of came into its modern, um, iteration. And so it's really fascinating to hear Justin tell some of the stories about how, why people like Bob Galvin, who was the CEO at Motorola at that time at, um, at GE, it was Jack Welch who was kind of creating this and why they decided to invest time and energy and money into creating these functions led by a, by a CLO, um, and sort of how things, how much some things have changed since then. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously the technology for learning and development has changed the, the integration of it with many other parts of the human capital sphere, whether that's recruiting or performance or whatever it might be has changed. But you know, the intention of a CLO coming in and being that person who is really got a broad mandate to upskill and develop the, the workforce for the future hasn't changed. And that's been consistent from the beginning. Well, and when you describe it that way, I mean, it sounds, um, uh, to me, it's a very inspirational sort of role. It's a role that can have a lot of impact. And, um, you know, I wonder for somebody who's listening, who uh, aspires to become a chief learning officer, um, I mean, what are the kind of competencies they need to be developing? Uh, maybe more importantly, what's the, what's the mindset they need to, to bring to it to, you know, eventually get to the place where they can play that role that you just described? Yeah. Um, it, what's, it's been interesting in my time, you know, the 11 plus years that I've been doing this to watch the career progression of the people that we're interviewing and talking to about the role, because there has been a shift. Um, you know, there was a point where, you know, this was sort of 
the chief learning officer role was sort of the pinnacle of your career focused on employee training and development. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at one point you were, uh, you many were started started as trainers on specific products. Like, you know, you had a software, um, uh, your software company, or you have a product and your job was to train your salespeople and your company about this product. And you ran it through classrooms and maybe you were an instructional designer and, oh, and that was something you did. And then you became a manager of training and then you just kind of worked your way up through this sort of, uh, career path that eventually led to a head of learning and development role. Um, and, and you know, that still exists. There's still a very viable path for people in those roles. But what's been interesting to watch over the last couple of years is just how many of the people who are operating in the most executive roles in both large companies, you know, Fortune 100 types, as well as, you know, small and medium sized companies, how many of them are coming from outside of learning and development. They bring an expertise from their business unit or they bring a specific technical skill set that is really core and critical to the company, whether that is a, you know, they were actually, a, you know, head of, they were head of sales function, for example, or they ran an engineering function. Um, and that is just so critical for the, the company that they're serving that they want them to become or they push them and choose them to become the, the, the chief learning officer of that company so that they can, they can bring in their content expertise and have that credibility. Um, and then they have a team or they develop the, the learning muscle, uh, behind it to, to develop it. So I think that's one of the core competencies, whether they're kind of following that traditional path or coming on the new path is just a, a, a solid understanding of the, the business that they are operating in. Um, they they just come in that's sort of baked in right to, to many of them. That's interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that as somebody who's not so much in uh, the the corporate space. I mean, it sounds really a lot like the way that um, uh, the CEO position often happens. Uh, you know, bringing in somebody from the outside or somebody who has a specific domain knowledge, and then you know, getting them in that leadership role. And then, like you said, they they have the team that's going to support them. They're going to evolve and grow in that position. So. Uh, Sounds like a similar sort of scenario for uh, a CLO, which makes sense. And uh, it makes me wonder, um, and you you sort of alluded to this uh, a a little while ago, how are other C-level leaders viewing the CLO position this day? I mean, you've got, you know, traditionally your your CTOs and your CFOs, um, you know, are, are CLOs equal players at the, the, the table now, um, that now that learning supposedly has, you know, grown uh, in significance? Yeah, I mean, I, it really depends on the organization where they're at. I, I think in the best ones, yes, they are. You know, they are seen truly as, you know, a strategic asset, you know, somebody who is involved in many cases, even at the board of directors level where they are, you know, consulting with the board about their future talent needs and the current state of their leadership team, Mm. their top 100 leaders. You know, there are CLOs who are operating in that function and presenting to the board and talking to the board and consulting with them on that. Um, But that's not to say that I think in the aggregate, in the whole, that the role has earned that sort of respect. It really can be highly um, driven by the the type of company and um, what their values are and where they're at. I, I think those the ones where we see right now the most strategic chief learning officers or 
heads of corporate development, the ones who are really making exciting things happen, is in professional services companies where their product is their people, basically. You know, you're a consulting company, you know, you're a PWC or an EY or an Accenture. What is your product? Well, it's the knowledge and in abilities of your workforce. So therefore, of course, you should be the investment of the time and energy in developing them and getting them not you know, your high powered, high talent people to share that expertise across the organization, that is a, a priority for them. And it gets, uh, you know, the highest level of influence and respect of the company. At, at that. But that's not all, always the case. There is still some struggle to get, um, to get for chief learning officers to get their due, to get the respect of, of their, their focal, their, 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 um, fellow C-suite executives. And, um, you know, it's not a. It's not that I think other functions are actively working against it. It's just that they're busy and right. that they are, in many times, focused on the hard metrics of running their business. You know, what are our sales like this this quarter? Um, where are we lagging? Um, where is our performance low from a production standpoint? And so, the more a chief learning officer can align themselves to those particular pain points in an organization and start to or continue to help to drive answers for that. Some things will work, some won't. I think most executives get that. They're, they're not willing, they're not um, unwilling to experiment. But the more you can partner with them and build those relationships and really drive against those sort of things versus your, hey, we drove 10, you know, we drove a 10% increase of people who came into our classes mm. this year. Execs don't really care about that. That doesn't mean much. Um, in fact, it might actually sound to them like you're taking their people away from doing important things if you're doing that. But if you can align yourself to those core metrics as a chief learning officer, then whatever company you're in, you're kind of bringing yourself up to a, to a C-suite level, even if you don't necessarily have a seat at the table. And I, I think that's a really important point. I mean, most of the most of the folks who would be listening to leading learning they're going to be responsible for driving revenue at some level. So they actually have to, to make money uh, off of whatever learning and educational experiences they're delivering, or they, they at least have to break even usually. I mean, you don't have quite that mandate usually in the, in the corporate space. So you're usually not looking for the learning function to necessarily make money. Though I guess, I guess sometimes now you are, but it sounds like it definitely needs to tie very tightly to you know the the, the business success uh, of the organization. Uh, you need to be able to see how it's leading to uh, that, that that company making money. Um, is is that uh, kind of the right way to think about it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's absolutely core to the role right now. I think the ones who are are lucky enough to be in organizations that get the value of investment in learning and development and and, and in having an executive who runs it. Uh, are only continue to have that because they're driving some sort of value. You know, that value may come down to, uh, you know, uh, um, a hard ROI. You know, we invested in X area and we saw this return on investment. But, you know, I think increasingly people realize we operate in a pretty complex world and you can't necessarily demonstrate that we invested in X and that led to an increase in sales of Y. Right. There's so many other factors that are in there. But, as long as it's working and as long as you can show the value creation of learning and development towards that goal, 
um, people are willing to invest in it. it. And but I think the key coming back to that person who's in that learning role, whether that is in a internal corporate role or whether that is somebody who is, you know, operating in an association or in a, you know, more of a profit making venture. It's being able to tell that story in a credible way um, that actually shows that what you are doing from an investment in your products and people standpoint is actually leading to, in part, to that result that the that the organization is driving at. And that again comes back to understanding what your business is about and being educated and, and able to have those conversations in a very sophisticated way uh, and, and then be able to tell that story. Well, and now maybe we can turn to this new resource that you've created for this, this group of people, chief learning officers, and, and, and maybe it's for more than just the CLOs, you'll have to tell us, but uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the new podcast, CLO Breakfast Club, uh, kind of you know, what it is, what you're trying to, to do with that? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. And um, yeah, so we've been doing an event, uh, a regional event series for about a dozen years now called the Chief Learning Officer Breakfast Club. And we would travel around to uh, about eight to 10 cities per year. We would interview, we'd find a, a chief learning officer in that uh, city and interview them and have a nice panel discussion that happens in the morning. And it's been great. I think the people who come to it really enjoy the conversation. They kind of walk away with uh, a few ideas from that, uh, from hearing from a, from a chief learning officer and maybe a few new contacts. But um what we and it's been great for me because I've traveled around and heard all these stories, but we've never really, until recently, taken the the idea that we should have those conversations, record them, and then be able to broadcast those stories and insights to the broader audience. And so that's what we launched the Breakfast Club podcast to do, the Chief Learning Officer Breakfast Club podcast to do, which is to take part of the conversation that we have with chief learning officers in these cities. And then package it up into a podcast that shares their story uh, of their career. How did they get to where they are? You know, what were some of the learning experiences they had along the way? What were some of their failures that they learned from and, you know, were able to bounce back and, and, uh, and respond to and, and move forward? What are some of the programs they're putting in place that are driving some results and, and that, that others can learn from? And, you know, what sort of advice and, I, and ideas do they have for others to Along the lines of much of the stuff that we've been talking about, how do you get that seat at the table where you're able to influence in a positive way the organization that you are in to achieve its results, both on a purely a business uh, point of view, you know, driving whatever, whether that's increasing sales, whether that's, you know, increasing productivity, dropping your error rates, whatever that might be but also on the individual level so that you're giving the people inside of your organization a clear, showing them a clear investment in their own growth and development and showing them career paths that are open to them so that when it comes to the point where they have a choice of whether they want to continue to work with you or not, hopefully they'll, they'll continue to do that and, and continue to be a, a productive part member of your organization. So that's really kind of what we launched the breakfast club podcast series about to do is to, sh to share some of those stories of people we feel are doing interesting work. Um, it's early days. We just launched it in, um, um, September. So we've got four episodes up and, and we'll have, we're, we're planning to have one every week. Um, so far we've, I mentioned that we interviewed Justin Lombardo, who's going to be my co-host. He was is a longtime chief learning officer, 
We've interviewed Aaron Olson, who is a head of human resources at Aon Hewitt, um, a former chief talent officer, chief learning officer there. He talked about some of his programs. Rob Lauber, who is the chief learning officer at McDonald's. Um, we were in Seattle a couple weeks ago and talked to Karen Coker, who is Microsoft's uh, global general manager for 21st century skills and, and you know what that job means at Microsoft. And, and we'll be interviewing another, um, an, another set of folks up here coming up here really shortly. We're, it's, uh, I think, a way to share the stories and um, be able to give insight into what this role means and how important it is to the future of the organizations uh, where these folks work. I think it's interesting that you've you know taken the podcast as a way to you know leverage uh, a face to face event and, and a face to face event that uh, sounds like it's very valuable, but you know you'd like to expand the reach of it. Um, I, I'm wondering because when I you know, when I read about your role um, at Human Capital Media, I mean you've got the the print publications, you got the text publications, you also basically uh, are in charge of the content for your events, if I remember correctly, and. Um, and now you've got the the podcast. Um, I mean, just from your perspective, you know, as somebody who's kind of in charge of all of this, how are you thinking about the possibilities of you know playing one off the other? You know, leveraging these different channels, orchestrating them in ways that might create new possibilities for for human capital media. Yeah, well, it's um, um, it's a necessity in our business, in media mm. business. You know, I, we we can't sit still. Um, you know, we, when chief learning officer was launched in 2003, it was pretty much a print publication with the website. Um, you know, and it was done in that order of priority, um, print and then web. And, you know, as we've grown, we've kind of become more digital first. We still have the print magazine. It's still an important part of what we do, but it's not everything. You know, we've launched events and, and conferences to sort of help to bring that community together because I think the real value creation comes in, in getting people to connect with one another and, and hear their stories and sort of accelerate their own career through those connections. And for us, the podcast, and we're making investments in, in, uh, in video uh, production as well and you know, have some other plans for the, the coming year and, and new products and services that we can offer. Um, but it, it really kind of becomes the way that we can serve the audience in whatever way they uh, they need us to serve them. So, you know, if they're they're if they want to just kind of read the magazine and sort of have that experience of digging in deep into feature articles and, and reading sort of more of a narrative based uh, approach to things, we have that for them. We've got you know our weekly newsletters where if you're looking for more quick hits, maybe a little bit more practical applications of some of the the big ideas, we can do that. With the podcast, it really is about storytelling and and storytelling in the sense of allowing learning uh, professionals to share their story. And, uh, in, in, in with our events, it's, it's really kind of, kind of bringing that all together into a unique experience over a couple, two or three days. So it's, um, it's, uh, an interesting, uh, job and it's never, um, never a dull moment, never sitting still. Um, but that's the kind of the nature of the business. And, and honestly, it's kind of a reflection of the nature of the chief learning officer role mm. too. You can't sit still, uh, for long. You can't say, Hey, we did a nice job with that. Cause you always have to be thinking about the next thing. And, and I think that's our focus too. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I don't want to 
kind of overgeneralize, so correct me if I go too far on this, but I, I think of your audience, um, you know, for well, the, the podcasts uh, and, and your events and your, and your publications um, as being mainly corporate uh, focused. Um, you know, the audience for leading learning, uh, we, we characterize as more market facing or externally uh, focused. They have to, you know, market and sell education uh, out to, to, to buyers um, who are paying for it. Um, what do you think that leading learning audience uh, can get from tuning into your publications, into your events, into your podcast? And, and where are the potentially points of intersection, collaboration between those similar but, but different learning roles in, in your mind? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's fairly simple um, in idea, but obviously very complex in application. Um, the, you can't operate as a solo operator anymore in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a learning and development role. So, you know, even the CLOs of Fortune 100 companies who have, you know, massive budgets need partners. They need people who are providing, whether that's content, whether that's platforms, um, whether that's insight and consulting. Mm-hmm. They need a constellation of people around them to carry successfully carry out their job. There is no hey, we're going to go it alone. Things just happen way too fast. Um, innovation happens way too quickly for for companies to really just say, hey, we got this. It's under control. They need really strong partners. And so when I think about your audience who you know may in fact be working with a corporate audience and selling products and services into them, they need those kind of partners. Right. Um, and they need them as not a transactional relationship, like, Hey, I need a course or I need something that does this X. They need a, a, a relationship, you know, somebody who can kind of bring not just a good product or service to them, but a consultative approach, which allows them to benchmark themselves against what's happening in the market at the same time, if that makes sense. Definitely. So, you know, kind of hearing from, edu- you know, from, from, you know, providers, you know, there's other companies that we're working with that are starting to do this, you know, have you considered that? That's an incredible value for, for learning and development leaders to hear from the people who are working with them as partners. Definitely fertile, fertile ground for uh, collaboration and ex- exchange of experience, I think. Um, well, Mike, we're getting to the, the end of our time together here. I, I want to be sure before we wrap up to ask you a question that we like to ask of everybody who comes on to Leading Learning, this being a, a show about learning, obviously. And, and this one is really focused on your personal learning. And um, here's the question. It's, you know, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Um, yeah. yeah I, so one of the things I did before I started this job was I worked as a, a U.S. Peace Corps volunteer um, doing educated teaching. Uh, overseas and then came back, uh, to the States after that. And then, um, had a fellowship where I was teaching, uh, on native American reservations in Arizona. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the most powerful things for me to see, um, is just how motivating education and learning can be. Um, particularly when I was in the Peace Corps, but also to a degree when I was working on the reservations, um, you know, there's a lot of poverty, a lot of social, um, discord and, and chaos that's happening. 
um, in the, in the environment. But, um, but you also see how powerful education can be in changing somebody's life that perhaps you don't see as clearly when you're working in more advantaged circumstances. And so I think that was one of the most powerful learning experiences for me was to see, um, how impactful education and learning can be on somebody's life. It can truly be a life. It's one of the few things that can truly be life changing in a positive way uh, for them. It's, you know, it's not like winning a lottery where it's like you sort of, it's a a lightning bolt that strikes you and everything's changed, Mm -hmm. but it is, it can be just as powerful in the sense of it's an investment in education and learning can be an investment in, in somebody's lifelong success and, um, and that kind of can also broaden out to others around them. And, um, and I think that's also true in corporate roles. I think, you know, people kind of get lost in the got to drive results and, you know, the, the, the numbers piece of it. And again, I'm not trying to, um, contradict what I was saying earlier. You, as a, as a learning professional in a, in a, you know, a business need to be focused on those things, but don't also lose sight of just the incredible power of what it is that you do in, in helping people and shaping their lives. And, and I think that that's really something that I have learned through those experiences is just how powerful it can be. Definitely. I, I have to admit, I always uh, feel a little bit of envy for people who've had that Peace Corps experience. Uh, it's something I had uh, aspired to earlier in my life and, and never quite followed through on. So and it sounds like you just yeah got, got some great foundation for where you are now. So thanks for, for sharing that story. Yeah. It's never too late. Just yeah, wanted to tell you, it's never too late for Peace that, Corps. That's true. It's a great thing for retirement now, I hear you. you got yeah, we had a number of folks who were retired in the, when I was there as well. So, Excellent. Well, it's still on my list. Um, but in the meantime, if, if listeners want to know, you know more about human capital media, more about the CLO Breakfast Club, uh, potentially connect with you, where should they go? Yeah. So if you want to check out the, the Breakfast Club podcast, go to clobreakfastclub.com. We'll have a, a access to all the podcasts we post so far, as well as our upcoming events where we'll be doing live taping of them. Uh, Chief Learning Officer Media, our magazine, and and uh, uh, and all of our digital media is available at clomedia.com. And uh, if you're interested in connecting with me, always eager to do that. You can reach out to me via LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is ProcoTweet, P-R-O-K-O-T-W-E-E-T. Nice. Well, great. Well, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the Leading Learning Podcast. Great, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. That wraps up the interview with Mike Prokopik. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 158. And as part of the show notes, we provide links to CLO Magazine and the CLO Breakfast Club podcast. When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing and just helps us know that you appreciate it. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can do that by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That puts you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings play a really important role in helping the podcast pop up when would-be listeners are searching for content on learning and leading. So if you leave a rating and a review, you're really doing a favor for other would-be listeners. 
And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Review My LMS. Salisa and I put a lot of time and energy into the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the reasons we're able to do that is because we're able to generate revenue through other sources like Review My LMS. So please visit ReviewMyLMS.com, and if you can, contribute a review to help others find the right platform for their needs, or if you don't have a review to contribute, you can also subscribe. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network or some other medium of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.